are you're stepping into. This is the second sermon in the series that we are calling Bringing the Gospel Home. And if, if you ask me what I'd prefer to be doing, it wouldn't be preaching. It would be having an evangelistic conversation with somebody right now. So though I would prefer not be with you, I'm here. So let's, let's just both deal with it. This is happening. There's no going back. I'm kidding. I do enjoy preaching, but uh, through some conversations with my wife, she says, you're not as good at it as you are at evangelism. And I'm like, cool, as long as we know where, where I'm supposed to be pointed. I'm, I'm good with it. So I, I, I really do, if I, to be serious, I really enjoy talking to people who aren't believers. I, I feel at, at home with them because I used to be them, and I, I like them. I don't know why, I just like them. Um, I think everybody should like them. In fact, I think we should love them. But I really enjoy this topic. I'm excited to bring uh, maybe some insight and maybe some helpful tips and some encouraging experiences. But today's Bringing the Gospel Home is going to be about a slower, longer approach to evangelizing a person. Bringing the gospel to somebody uh, may not be a very quick explanation, presentation of the gospel, and they are saved. And one, sometimes it is years and years of you being faithful and in their lives. So that's the perspective that I'm going to take today and, and try and, and give you some, some helpful tips. But both are important. Both I've been in those conversations on airplanes where I'm like, I'm flying to New York and this guy's next to me and we're going to start talking and I am going to intentionally try to bring it to a place that we talk about spiritual matters. And I may never see this person again and they may hear the gospel only once and I'm the vessel and I want to take advantage of that. So there, there's a different approach there than what I'm talking about today. Both are good, both are necessary. And if you're asking me, should all believers do this? 100% yes. And if you live your entire life and never share your faith with faith in Christ with somebody else, I, I wow. Okay, let's not do that. Let's let's today I want to encourage you to try. Even if you're 70 years old and you've never done that, today's the day to try. This is where we start moving in that direction. I had two experiences of evangelism before I was a Christian that I got to sit back and watch. One, I was a fly on the wall. The other, I was the, uh, the, the specimen being tried on. The first one was my brother sharing his faith with, with his friends who they were going to college and they didn't know if, when their paths would ever cross again. So he's like, I got to get it out here. And so they, they, they had this conversation. He was very measured peaceful, respectful in the way that he, he made out his case. And then I would hear them talk about from an atheist or an agnostic perspective, all of the reasons why they don't want to believe it. He thoroughly handled their objections. And to the point where I wasn't a believer, I'm watching my brother do this. And I'm like, well, I can't be an atheist. I just, I don't have enough faith to do that. I've got enough faith to think that there is some dude out there controlling all stuff, but I have no interest in him whatsoever after that. That was where I was. So I saw him thoroughly handle that. And I'm like, okay. But it was a very good experience to watch. It wasn't, it wasn't an experience that uh, I necessarily wanted to be the subject in. That came later through a friend who also gave a very loving presentation to me. He said some very hard things in a way that I could, was palatable to me. He knew me very well. He was a friend and he gave the gospel to me. And later I accepted that, like maybe over a year later, but there we go. Let's fast forward to, now, um, I became a believer and I remember early on being challenged in my faith to actually go and try to share the gospel with other people and not just the gospel. I remember, I remember Pastor Mark 
telling me or asking me a question. He goes, have you ever been in the conversation where somebody's ready and you call them to repentance and faith in Jesus? And have you been in those scenarios and seen it happen? And I remember as a young man in my early 20s going, nope, never seen that. Never been a part of that. And he says, do you want to? That's a dangerous question. And I'm asking that question of you today. Do you want to be in those scenarios? Be careful how you ask the question or, you know, be, be careful. If, if you want to, the opportunities are to start coming and you better be ready or not. You can also fail and repent and get better at it. As I will display, I have. So the first point in this sermon is embrace all roles. And this is where I want to maybe take some misconceptions as to what evangelism is and maybe encourage you that you, you might not understand it or even perceive it, but you might be evangelizing somebody and not really knowing it. So embracing all roles, I have gardener versus harvester. And a gardener, all right, I wanna start with the harvester because that one, we, I think we all kind of understand what I mean by harvester. The harvester is the, the man or woman of God who is with a person, they, they present the gospel, and that person says, yep, I wanna be in that. I, I wanna believe this. I believe Jesus rose from the dead for me, took my sin, all of that gives, gives me his righteousness. I wanna do that. And that person like finds themselves in that scenario with some frequency and some fruit from doing that. And we call that person the harvester. When I say the word evangelism, before I gave you that description, something popped into your head, an idea, a definition, or an experience that you have had. Some of those definitions are very bad. Some of them are very good. Some of the experiences are very good. And some of the experiences are very bad. But there are people that we tend to go, oh man, the harvester is the one doing evangelism. The harvester is the one out there on the front lines winning people, bringing them in. But I want to say to you, the gardener is equally as important and is also doing evangelism. What do I mean by gardener? The gardener is the one who is sharing their faith with, with people whether with words or with actions and love and being in their life, they're the person down in the dirt pulling the weeds that they know are obstacles to this person coming to faith and they're doing that dirty work all the time, helping, constantly loving, serving, having them in their homes, living life around them, inviting them into things. That's called gardening and that's evangelism. And you may never see somebody in that moment, you may never be in that scenario where that person gives their life to Christ but you are evangelizing. And it may not be as explicit as telling them what Jesus did on the cross, although it should get there, but that's evangelism. And I've had some conversations with people even recently that say, I don't think I'm really good at evangelism. And I look at their life and I'm like, what, what do you call evangelism? And so what I have seen is that a lot of people wanna be the harvesters. A lot of people wanna be there, but they don't wanna do the gardening. And we, we tend to elevate those who harvest as being more important in evangelism. And I wanna dispel that myth. I think that's rubbish. I think it's better that we view them both as equally important and good. I'll give you an example of looking for the opportunity to be the harvester. Uh, the first time I ever did that, after I heeded Pastor Mark's call, I went and I actually tried it on the heathen. And we're, we're driving in a car and it's a little five-speed, I'm paying attention to the road, and I, I just share the gospel with said heathen. And I said, hey, does that sound like something that you wanna believe? And he says, yes. And now I don't know what to do. Now I'm like, I don't know how to operate a stick shift anymore. And, and like, I'm freaking out, because I'm like, I wanted this opportunity, here it is in front of me, and now I blank. Now, now I'm exposed for the fraud I am in this whole game. 
right? And then you know what happens next? It gets weird. So because of me, and one of my number one rules for the guys in my group is what? Don't be weird. I broke the rule. And I'm like, you know what? The atmosphere is not right. I got to take them to a lake. And I got to pray with them like really intensely. And I'm like building this, this prayer in my head that I'm going to pray with them. And like, it's going to be magical, right? You know, like fireworks are going to shoot off. And like, it's going to be phenomenal. All the while, it's getting weirder for him. And I'm seeing it on his face. And like, I'm start walking him through some trees to a lake. And he's like, are you going to kill me here? You're like, is this where I die? You got me saved and now I'm in heaven? I don't know. But like, he definitely was not having a good experience anymore. And it just kept getting weirder. And I remember after that going, I don't want to do that ever again. It took me a little while to get back to it. So there's, there's a funny example. But hey, I asked for it. I went for it. The kid said he wanted it. It got weird. I'm changing. I'm getting better. Have you ever been in that conversation? Do you want to be in that conversation? That's a good question. Here's another better example of being the gardener because maybe you are, maybe, there are some people that when they do evangelism, they are sometimes the gardener, sometimes they're the harvester. Some people, they have experience in both, but some, some tend to stay on those, the pendulum swings either way and that's totally fine too. Like I love it all. I love all of that. But another experience was, this was fast forward, I'm in my early 30s. And this guy, he's in his 20s, and we're having all kinds of good conversations, and, and I'm, I'm seeing that this conversation is leading to spiritual things, and he's at the time, he's an agnostic, and he's, he's saying, you know, I, I like a lot of the things that I see in Christianity and, and from Christians, but my, my big problem is just that I, I, I don't believe that morality is objective. I believe everybody's truth is, is their truth, so your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and they're both equally true. And I, I vehemently disagree with that, but I'm gonna be delicate with how I handle that with any, any person that says that. And so I said, hey, let's go, let's go get some dinner. And so over, over dinner, we're talking, and I get to the point where I'm like, you know that I love you. He's like, yep, and I love you too. And I'm like, all right, let's, all right, we just said I love you. All right, now we're a couple. So let's move past that. But he knew that I loved him. We had a relationship that was, you know, friend, like we, we really respected each other. And I said, brother, you say that morality, you've got this, this that all morality, you, you're, you're saying that statements about morality are not objective. He says, yes. I said, is that objectively true? And he says, what? I said, do you mean what you say? That everything is subjective? Yes, I was like, then so what you just said is also subjective and it is also not true. Okay, he says nothing literally for 20 minutes and I'm begging him to fight me. I was like, brother, you say you believe this. Tell, prove to me it's true. Right now, prove it. And he wouldn't say another word. And it wasn't because I was being mean and I didn't say this passionately either. I was like, well, this is what you're saying. You know, I, I measured him, I'm, I'm being nice. Two weeks later, he gives his life to Christ, not with me. I wasn't there for that special moment. He gives his life to Christ in another conversation with somebody else. And what we can sometimes do is go, oh, I failed. Why didn't I close the deal? How come I didn't see the, and say the thing that brought him to, to where he needed to be? Maybe I needed to be less analytical and reasoned and maybe a little bit more on the emotional end of the spectrum or something, right? Like you can do that. I don't care to talk about that or be about that or, or like try to figure that all out because he calls me 
And he says, hey, I want you to know I gave my life to Christ. And I also want to apologize that I didn't do it with you. And I'm like, I don't need an apology. I'm just glad you're my brother. Like, you're in. Like, you could have done it with a rock and I couldn't have cared less. I'm just glad that you're going to be in heaven and not in hell for eternity. You know, like, so for those who are in the harvester place, hallelujah. For those of you who are in the gardener place, hallelujah. Both are good and needed. Both are equally valuable. And I want to drive that point home with 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is Paul speaking. He says, what then is Apollos, who is a colleague of his? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants, he who waters are one. The harvester and the gardener are one. That means something very special too. And each will receive his wages according to his labor, not his position. Not being at the place of the harvester, but as the faithful gardener. Your, your work, your actual labor doing it, that's how you'll be rewarded. Not how many people you save. You save no one, God does. But you are in your position to win, to help. For we are God's fellow workers. There's my identity. You are God's field, God's building. I wanna bring the favorite part of this sermon for me You know what I like about what I'm telling you is this next part, which is about the asking questions. Asking questions is vitally important to evangelism. And I I wanna make a point here. You can't read the gospels and not find Jesus constantly asking questions in all kinds of scenarios. There are the the few times where it's like Sermon on the Mount where he's just like straight preaching. But the majority of what he's talking about and saying are questions to people. 307 times, Jesus asks a question in the New Testament. 183 questions are asked of him. And out of the 183 asked directly to him, he only directly answers less than 10. Does your evangelism look like that when you've tried it? Where you're you're answering the question directly, like they ask a question of you, and instead of asking a question to help them open up within the assumptions that they're bringing in, Jesus is 40 times more likely to ask a question versus give a direct response. That's an interesting thing to see. Creator of everything knows everybody's inner thoughts and hearts and motivations. Instead of giving direct answers, asks questions because he's exposing the person. He's, he's, he's showing us there's a way in that's better than a direct response and answer. A lot of us like to be the answer people. Oh, I, wanna, I wanna talk to the, the atheist. I wanna talk to the agnostic and tell them how wrong they are. I, I would say, I think Jesus would say how wrong you are for going that route instead of being more interested in them. Jesus was so good at being interested in people that he wanted to ask them so many questions and talk and hear them and, and let them see how what they're saying, maybe, maybe they've assumed a whole lot of things. I love the way Jesus evangelizes. And just for an example, you've got in uh, Mark chapter 10, 
This verse was talked about last week, but as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? If anybody in this room was asked this question today, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Would you ask a question or would you get right into your memorized way of, well, Jesus died on the cross. Maybe we've, got, we, maybe we've got to rethink how we tell people the gospel. Maybe we have to go, so you believe in eternal life? Why do you believe in eternal life? Start asking some questions because you, you might discover that they don't mean the same thing you mean. And I think that's, that's a wonderful thing to discover. Jesus didn't start right in and, and go, well, here's what you need to do. And he starts with a question. What's this guy's worldview? What, what does he think is important? What's what do you mean good? What's, what's good and evil to you? Another thing that I try and constantly fail is the amount of words that I say in my evangelism is not the important thing. If I talk more, that's probably bad. The amount of words is not as important as the quality of the words that I choose to say and when to say them and the questions that I choose to ask. I should spend a whole lot more time listening than saying. And this is something that I, I think has proven to be fruitful when I've tried it on, on people that I love. I really have to listen. A good evangelist is a really good listener. There'll be times that uh, my, my wife and I will joke sometimes about who, who, like when we're in certain settings, I get quiet or in other settings, I get really loud. And it really depends on how many unbelievers are there. Like, if I know you and we're good, I'm like, I'm not going to talk a whole lot. Like, a, a bunch of Christians, I'm like, this is lame. We all believe the same thing. I'm not excited. You know, I'm kidding. I'm only half kidding. But if it's, if it's, if it's non-believers, I'm like, there's the field. I'm going. And I, I'll even tell them, I like talking to you more than these Christians I'm hanging out with. And I mean it. Kind of. So another example of asking questions this one came in a small group years ago. I'm probably in my late 20s at this point. And this is a guy who, in, in this Bible study, he said enough, and I was listening enough during the Bible study to know that, all right, he's not a Christian, but he definitely has a spiritual view of things. And so now, now he's more interested, more interesting to me than everybody else in the room. And so like after the group, I, I go outside of him like, hey man, I really appreciated hearing your perspective. Can you tell me more about it? Is that approach better than going, hey, you're a religious relativist? That's stupid. Like, now he doesn't want to talk to me if I do that. So instead, I have this conversation where I'm like, hey, tell me more. Why do you believe that? He goes, oh, well, I believe all religions are basically saying the same thing. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. I was like, so you've read them then. You've, you've, read, you've read the Quran. You've read the Hindu Vedas. You, you've read uh, the sayings of Buddha. He's like, no, I haven't read any of them. And so right there, I was ready to go into, well, you know, Muhammad said this and Jesus said this and they both are saying something very different. I was ready to go there. But had I gone there after asking that, like I asked the question, that prevented me from going there. Now I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna deal with the idea. I'm just gonna talk about the general idea and make sure that he understands that that's hogwash instead. So what we did is I said, okay, so you believe that all of these are basically saying the same thing. He said, yes. I said, what if, what if mine says that what you just said is a lie. Is it still true? And he goes, well, no. Oh, I see. 
And now, now I've bothered him. And all I wanted to do was take a pebble and put it in his shoe. And now you're like, what are you talking about? I didn't understand the last thing you said. Now I'm really confused. You want to put rocks in people's shoes? That's how you're evangelizing people? If I'm wearing these shoes, my feet are very familiar with these shoes. And they're very comfortable in there. And when I walk, I don't even think about it. I don't, I, I'm not worried about how my, the side of my foot is touching the side of my shoe. But if a stone or a little tiny pebble gets lodged in there, all I think about is my feet. All I think about, I don't think about your beautiful face. I think about this little rock. And I'm like, stone in my shoe. A stone. I can't wait until I can untie this thing. And then I'm going to get this thing off. And so I think planting stones as ideas or troubling somebody in what they believe is a way of putting a stone in their shoe so that every time that they think about that thing, every time that they say, oh, I believe I'm a religious, oh, well, there's that conversation I had that I can't, like, now I can't believe that. I'm putting a stone in their shoe for the long haul. And that's gonna give them a blister. And that is going to make them doubt everything about what they believe. And that's what I'm going for. There are some people that all I wanna do is put a stone in their shoe. And with that guy, I put a stone in his shoe. And now every day he's going to walk with his belief system and there's a problem there. And I don't know where he is now. I don't know if he got freaked out. Maybe I made that situation uncomfortable. I don't know. But I put a, pub, a pebble in his shoe. So I want to give you the challenge to go and put pebbles in people's shoes. You don't have to have, you don't have to, have everything figured out in a conversation. All you got to do is have one goal of going, I'm just, I'm just going to find the one thing that I can place that in. So conversations is the first way that we can put a pebble in somebody's shoe. And now they're walking away, always thinking about that thing. A couple of ways that I can do that other than asking the question or like holding their belief to that standard that they just put out there is just go, that's interesting that you say that because I've read the opposite. Or something like, I'm trying to believe, this is something I really like. If somebody believes something or they're not a Christian, I try to find out what they believe and I say, can I try to believe that with you? Help me understand why you believe that. And then explain how it all makes sense of this and this and this, and I'm gonna be your disciple. Not a lot of people want a disciple. But I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna say, hey, help me learn what you know. And then I'll know where to bring the gospel to them. There's a, another example. In uh, a couple years ago, I had some friends over the house and, and we're talking and one was not a Christian and we're, we're having conversations about our kids, which is always a great end to talk to people. Yeah, everybody who has kids can talk to other people with kids. You're like, oh, I can't believe my daughter, she's, she's driving me crazy. Like we can all identify with that kind of talk. But he was like, you know, I, I love my kids. And really all I want to do is make sure that at the end of life, we're all in heaven together. And he's not a Christian, but he believes in heaven. I said, really? So I, my, my ears are always like, they're talking about spiritual things. I'm like a zombie. I just go to it. Like, and I want to be in those conversations. And so I said, hey, I, I want to make sure that me and all of my family are in heaven too. He's like, cool. And he wasn't expecting the whole conversation to come of it. And I said, how do you think we get there? And I, I, don't, I don't really know. And uh, I think I just got to be pretty good. I was like, that sounds pretty bad to me. Um, I said, brother, you know that I'm a Christian and 
I, I don't think that being good is good enough because I've done a lot of bad. Have you done a lot of bad? Yeah, I've done a lot of bad. It's like something's got to take care of that and being good isn't enough. In fact, it's just me. If I think my, my good deeds are gonna get me there, it's, it's like me just filling up a bag of good deeds and then going to God and wrapping it up and going, now you must let me in instead of being invited in. Human, our hearts are not like that. No heart is like that. You don't pay to get access. You're welcomed in or not. Hearts are open from the inside. And he was like, well, that sucks because that's what I was counting on. And the whole rest of the night, he was devastated. I'm like, I'm, I'm making meat, and I'm like, got drinks, and I'm like, he's depressed now. I'm like, this dinner sucks now. No, nothing is fun. But all night, he was bothered. He's like, guys, I just, I'm, I'm, an, I'm, I don't know what to do. What's next? It wasn't long after that, he became a believer. All because I said, how do you get there? Not a brilliant question just genuinely interested. You don't have to be smart to be an evangelist. We're a bunch of idiots just trying things out. Second way is how you live. And this is the only example where I'm gonna name the person that was my subject. And that was Ryan McKenzie, who's pastoring your kids next door. And he was my best friend in high school, and he was a hypocrite because he called himself a Christian but wouldn't live it. And at that time that we became good friends, I started taking Christianity seriously and moving toward discipleship and trying evangelism out and, and basically you know, having these conversations with Ryan, and, and none of it worked. And, but I stayed a consistent friend in his life, and he, he would watch my life's trajectory, and this is nothing that he has not already said from this pulpit, just so you know. And I'm, not, I'm not putting him out there on blast, but my wife and I, when we were engaged, and, and we were, we were uh, honoring the marriage bed, you know, we, we weren't having that kind of fun before marriage, and Ryan understood that, knew that we weren't, and he knew that what our commitment was, and it was so foreign to him, and he was like, I can't believe that you guys can do that, and I'm like, well, it's it's not impossible. You just don't take your clothes off, you know? And, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're living it consistently in front of him. And then he's at my wedding. He's at my wedding. He's in my, I, I let this, this dirty heathen into my, my groomsmen crew, right? And, and this guy, when I say dirty heathen, I don't really mean it mostly, you know? But I kind of do. And but he, he's sitting there watching this life lived consistently for Christ and he's going, I got nothing like that. And I'm gonna miss out on all of that. And plus, just there's not joy in my life. There's, there's not peace. And he starts seeing all these things and it makes him, that's the pebble in his shoe, was a life lived well. And I look around this entire church and I see people that I know who live a consistent good life, which is a strong witness, and you don't think you're an evangelist. Some of you. You're an evangelist, and I applaud you for your life well-lived. It has affected me. It has shown me that a marriage can go very long. And it's a, it's a strong, strong witness to other people when they see that. How do, how do you do that? How do you not just get completely annoyed at your wife all day long? Like, I'm like, I do, but I forgive her. And it's really the reverse. I'm the knucklehead. 
All right, last, I've only got three minutes. Don't argue. Don't argue. This one, this, this point bothers me because I like to argue. Like, I like it. I enjoy it. And what I don't mean is don't have really well-reasoned arguments. Like, you, need, you can't just say something like, I believe this, and then leave it at that, and think that you've said anything important. You, you have to say, this is what I believe, and this is why I believe it, and this is how this is justified, and this is how I've come to this point. That's called developing an argument for something that you believe. And so that's good to do, and debates are wonderful if they're done well, but you can't be a jerk you can't be mean. When, when a conversation moves to argumentative, then it's bad and we're in a bad way. It's, if it's, it's a place where people are getting heated because of things, then we got to back up and go, this is not it. And you need to find an exit strategy out of those because some of them are going to go that way whether you like it or not, whether you want it to or not. We don't want to win and, and destroy people in conversations because the, the one thing that we have been given is the ministry of reconciliation, right? Jesus said you've been given, or Paul said we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So I go, Jesus reconciled the world to himself, and so I have to go look at that world and try and reconcile them to Jesus, like facilitate some of that. And so when I get into a conversation, am I, am I leaving them, or if I have somebody that's with me, a fellow Christian, do they see what my efforts were and go, that had the air of reconciliation about it? Or do they look at it and go, that had the air of, of being a jerk about it. Then, then I have to change something. I, something's got to change. I've, I've, got, I've got to do some heart searching and have some surgery done. I'm going to give just a quick response of how you can de-escalate something like that. And uh, one of my favorite books ever on evangelism is one written by a man named Randy Newman, and it's called Questioning Evangelism. And I recommend everybody in the room read it because it'll give you helpful tools for how to share the gospel with somebody who doesn't believe through questions. And he, he revisits a conversation that he had where there was two atheists in the room and this conversation got really heated and it was over the topic of hell and that people go there. And the, the guy was saying, I can't believe that you believe that hell, like people go to hell. How, how, that, that's, and he's mad, he's angry at him. And he goes, do you believe that a place like hell even exists? He goes, no, it's a ridiculous idea. Can't believe that. He goes, then why are you spending so much time and energy talking about a ridiculous idea? You're wasting your time. And, and what do you care if I do or not? It means nothing to you. You don't believe it? Pass on by. And then the other guy that was sitting in the room saying nothing goes, well, I believe in it. I believe that there, there's a place like hell. And he goes, starts asking questions. Well, well, do you think anybody goes there? And he was having some trouble. And he goes, all right, Hitler. Is Hitler in hell? He's like, yeah, of course, we can agree. Hitler's in hell. He goes, all right, what about heaven? Yeah, I believe that there's a heaven. Well, who's there? And he goes, well, I guess God would be there. And he goes, in that moment, he went from an atheist to an Orthodox Jew. <laughs> Through questions. Through questions. It went from a heated conversation to now he's at least an Orthodox Jew in some senses. And the guy who wrote the book is a Jewish convert to Christianity. So um, he can say that word. Um, all right, I want to end it with this. Don't take the bait on those kinds of conversations. Don't take the bait on, you don't have to fight everybody on every front. And we're talking about bringing the gospel home. 
When we're thinking about our family and our friends and our neighbors who we live next to, and we have to have this long view approach to sharing the gospel with them, you don't have to fight them every time they say something that you don't agree with. What you do need to do is the one undispensable thing that we have, which is prayer, is listen, and while they're talking, go, Lord, which avenue? It's a, it's a hard thing. It's a, it's a muscle that we got to work out when we're in these intense conversations, but you've got to step back, pause, go, Lord, where? Because I could fight them on all these things. Some of these are political things. Don't care. Where, where's the spiritual aspect that I can get in at that point? That's where we need to focus. We don't need to focus on, on yelling at people and arguing with people or getting into bad conversations. And the reason is because starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. You ever seen a dam break? There's no putting it back. The water's through and it's done. And it'll take a, a worldwide effort to get that thing put back together. And then in verse 19 in Proverbs 17 says, he who loves a quarrel loves sin. Do you like to fight? Bible just said that you might wanna rethink that. Those fighters out there, the people that really like to get into battles, he who loves a quarrel loves sin. He who builds a high gate invites destruction. Let's go with a peaceful long view approach. I think that's better. I think there's more fruit there. We've been called to the ministry of reconciliation. And we're gonna end here. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, whom Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's stand and we'll end. I read a book years ago called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. And there's one thing that I took away from that book that impacted me more than any other thing. And it was this statement. He goes, the, the Christian man or woman who isn't praying is playing. If you're not praying, you're just playing Christianity. And that's fake. And so one thing that I try to instill and put into my life is that every week I'm praying for the lost. Every week, everybody's got a list that they can make and we pray for them. Every Wednesday I get up, every Sunday that I'm preaching and I'm hosting, you hear me praying for people that are lost. And I wanna invite you into a robust prayer life for people who may never hear the gospel other than through your lips. And let's pray for them. So let's pray now. Lord, right now, we ask that you would give us the burden to go out and seek the lost and to have good conversations and to put pebbles in shoes. Lord, make my heart more concerned with my neighbor. I thank you that you were so concerned about us, your enemies, that you came and you gave your life for us. I can give some time out of my day and out of my life for those people in my life. Amen. 